Exodus chapter 5. Turn there for a moment. We have been going through Ephesians, I mean, the Philippians, and we're talking about our partnership in the gospel. And we got to the part, part in Philippians chapter 3 where we were looking at, or Paul was drawing a contrast between two crowds. And we talked about this many times before, but there are two crowds that plagued the church back then, and there are two crowds that plagued the church back now, and we try to lead her um, into, uh, into error. One crowd he already dealt with was the legalists. Uh, some of them are very extreme, and some of them are not so extreme. A not so extreme one would say, yep, you get in by grace through faith. We'll concede that. We'll give that to you. But you're kept by the law. And we talked about the fact that we need to recognize the limits of the law. The law cannot save you, it cannot make you holy, and it cannot empower you to live holy. It can only show you to be unholy in order to lead you to Jesus and Calvary where unholy people are made holy as a gift. And we got in that way and we're kept that way. So he dealt with that crowd. Now he moves over and deals with the license to sin crowd. Remember, it's two crowds. They both start with L. Legalists and the license to sin. And the license to sin crowd, he called them probably the most dangerous thing I think you could call somebody in the Bible. He called them enemies of the cross. They're enemies of the cross. And these are the ones who say, and this is, this is a moderate license to sin crowd person. Yep, you get in by grace through faith and that's how you're saved. But once you're saved, God's grace is so gracious and God's love is so loving, and it is, that you can now, that you're a Christian, exploit God's grace and live any way you want to live and just depend upon God's grace to bail you out of the trouble you'll get yourself and others in. And you can just live an unholy life and go to heaven when you die. And in the meantime, just have it up. Just have it up. Party up, man. Indulge and do whatever you want to do. Both of those are wrong. Our task here is to see how that we could positionally be friends of the cross, but practically be enemies of the cross. Because when he talks about the enemies of the cross, what he's talking about there is, is those who would say, I'm totally fine with the work of the cross for me, but I'm having a problem with the work of the cross in me. Once the work of the cross is done for you, then the Christian journey is God's way to kill what's left of you that's alive of the old man and replace that with his son. God doesn't sit down and negotiate with the flesh and say, let's cut a deal. God says, you're either in the spirit or you're in the flesh, and I want to kill you and your reliance upon the flesh so that you'll live progressively in the spirit. And that's, we want to be a friend of the cross. We want to embrace the cross. Not only its work in us or for us, but its work in us. Some of you are on that journey. You have embraced the cross. And you're, and you're, you're asking God. But there, that you, you've encountered some difficulty. You've encountered some problems. There's some hiccups there. And you're trusting and believing God for things that you had not seen yet. And some of you are at a place of, of, of looking for a breakthrough. And so this, the title of this message this morning, which we didn't plan, is Believing for the Breakthrough. Believing for the Breakthrough. And we look at Exodus chapter 5, we're going to learn some things about God's breakthroughs. And some encouragement to persevere until they come. This is uh, Moses' first encounter with Pharaoh. You'll recall that he's been in the desert for 40 years. God sent him out there to the desert to tend sheep. His life is 
divided up into three 40-year periods. This is the mid. This is the and it comes in the aftermath of the second 40-year period where he is uh, in the uh, wilderness tending sheep. Uh, God used that wilderness experience to take Moses and knock the Moses out of Moses. That's what God uses those experiences for. And so he was prepared now, and God appears to him. You know the story at the burning bush. He says, I'm going to send you back, and you're going to be used. I'm going to use you to liberate my people because I've heard their cries. 430 years of crying for liberation. Mark, is everything okay? Okay. Okay, good. Praise the Lord. Um, and so they're, they're, uh, they're, 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 God has heard their cry. So in response to their prayer, which we're talking about this morning, God now sends his man because it's the appropriate time and his man is Moses. And of course Moses wrestles with him and says, God, you know, I can't speak well. And so God concedes a little bit and says, okay, I'll send Aaron with you. He'll help you. Okay, so Aaron and Moses go. This is his first encounter with Pharaoh now. This is Moses. After having been told by God at the burning bush, you're going to liberate my people. I'm going to work through you to liberate my people. Enough is enough. They've been in slavery, and they're going to be free. I'm going to, and I'm going to free them, and I'm going to use you to free them. I'm going to work through you to free them. Okay, let's pick up on 5.1. Would you stand with me in reverence and honor of God's holy word, if you're physically able? Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went uh, in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may... Hold a fast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor? So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Get yourself straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. In other words, your quota is going to remain the same. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. And also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making the brick both yesterday and today as before? Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing with us, your servants, thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, and they say to us, Make brick. And indeed your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, idle. Therefore you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore go now and work, 
for no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, You shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Then they came out from Pharaoh, and they met with Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to these people, and neither have you delivered your people at all. And then in chapter 6, the Lord said to Moses, Now you see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. That's the word of the living God. Will you maybe see it for a moment? Believe in God for the breakthrough. Now here we have Moses having received a direct instruction from the Lord in the burning bush account that says, I've heard the cry of my people, and they have cried out for freedom in their slavery in Egypt, and I am responding to their cry. You're prepared now because I am put you on the backside of the desert to knock the new out of you so that you would no longer take matters into your own hands because that's what he did when he killed the Egyptian. You'll remember. He saw a slave mistreated. He took matters into his own hands to kill the slave master who did it. And God knew by that that he wasn't ready. He knew he was to be the deliverer, but it wasn't the time. He wasn't ready because he took matters into his own hands. We've talked about this verse many times before, but the Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no trouble with it. You try to bless yourself, you'll have nothing but trouble. You trust God to do it, there'll be no trouble accompanied by it. And so Moses took <coughs> everything into his own hands, got commissioned to the backside of the desert so he could learn how to trust God. Now he's ready. God gives him a direct promise and a direct instruction to go see God's people liberated from 430 years of Egyptian bondage. He goes up to Pharaoh, <coughs> stands in the presence of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, Nothing doing. Who are you to come up here and make demands of me? I'm God. He said, I don't know this God. we got a bunch of gods, but don't you look around at the monuments around here. I mean, are they, have they got a picture of your God on them? No. They look strikingly similar to me and my dad and the dynasty that I'm a part of. And you don't get the, did you not get the email? I'm God. And by the way, <clears throat> you guys want to go out in the wilderness and worship your God? You got time to do that? Oh, you got time. You guys are idle. Apparently, you're underworked. I mean, because if you've got time to take time off of your schedule, because we're good to you after all. I mean, you're getting to build monuments to me. What a privilege. And you've got extra time on your hands to go out in the wilderness and worship your God. Apparently, you're not busy enough. So, here's what we're going to do. Not only do you keep the same quota that you've got now, but you've got to be responsible for gathering the straw. See, the straw was once provided for them by the Egyptians. Now they've got to go out and not only build the bricks, but they've got to go get the straw from which to make the bricks. He said, we'll see about your worship of your God. You guys are idle. We'll tend to that. So what, and see, now this is after Moses has convinced the children of Israel that he should be their representative. They were reluctant about that. He said, listen, we got it under control, man. Hey, listen, God's done spoke to me. That's South Georgia. God has done spoke to me. And we're we gonna go up and talk to Pharaoh. And you know, it's gonna be you can imagine going in that hallway and how intimidating that must have been to stand there in shepherd garments, and there you are with all the pomp and circumstance of the ruler of the world at that time. And you're standing in front of him, this frail figure of a man, saying, Let my people go. And he said, You're making demands on me, are you kidding me? So now they're in worse shape 
than they were when everything got started. And they do the same thing that you and I would have done. They go back to Moses and say, Moses, duh. What's up with this? These grand promises you made about a breakthrough, these grand promises you made about deliverance, and now you come, you show up on the scene, we give you authority to represent us, which was delegated by God, not them. And you go up there and do it, and now matters are worse. Thank you so very much. We so much appreciate that. Now we're going to die at the hand of Pharaoh because there's no way that we're going to be able to keep up with this. So Moses does the same thing that you and I would do. He goes back to God and asks the same question. God, duh. What's up with this? I, I mean, he thought it was automatic. That's what I would have thought too. Hey, God's on our side. This staff's got power. Hey, man, a burning bush. It didn't consume. He spoke to me from heaven. You know, first go around. This must be it. But if it's expect favor to say, okay, let him go. I'm scared. Well, the Bible records in Romans that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Right? God orchestrated this. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He didn't respond to that first request because God was sovereign over his response. And so, and there was a very, very, very good reason why he didn't respond to that first request. Now, let me say something to you. Either some of you in here now are at this spot or you're headed there and you need to remember this. When you believe God for a breakthrough, when you're believing Him for a breakthrough, could it be that you're believing Him for a financial need? Could it be that you're believing Him for something in your children that you see that you've been praying for and beseeching? I'm not talking about little. I'm not talking about things that. I'm talking about matters that only God can handle. And you're believing God for something only God. This is a God category thing. Now we know they all fit in that category, but I'm talking about something that just fits in the category of God. And you're believing Him for something. I want to encourage you. This morning, if you've heard from him and you're praying back to him promises that he's put on your heart, because like we've talked about time and again before, the best prayer, the most effective prayers on earth are the ones that are initiated in heaven. And when you go after the heart of God and you latch on to a promise of God and you pray it back to him, let me tell you what's going to most often happen. Many times before the breakthrough comes, things will get worse before they get better. Many times, the breakthrough, before it comes, things will get worse before they get better. Things got worse for the nation of Israel. They wound up having to gather their own bricks. They were working themselves to death already. And now, they've got to gather up their own raw material. Things have gotten decidedly worse, so much so that they predict that he's going to kill us. This, is, this labor is going to kill us, or either he's going to kill us by the sword. Either the work will kill us, or the slave masters will kill us for not being able to keep up with it. One or the other, we're dead. And they were discouraged. That's what will happen to you. When you're in the prelude of a breakthrough, let me tell you what happens. I've seen this happen time and again. I've seen it happen in my own life, and I've seen it happen in the lives of others in ministry. Your greatest temptation, your greatest temptation to take matters into your own hands or give in to discouragement and give in to fear or maybe even just leave the circumstance will come and the threshold of a, of a victory that was around the corner. And if you take matters into your own hands and you don't persevere, then you wind up not seeing what God had planned all along. That around the corner, the God moment was coming. It was around the corner. And God's saying, listen now, I've got a handle on this thing. You think Pharaoh's in charge of this situation? Do you think for one minute 
that Pharaoh is in charge of it. It might seem that way. And that's what will happen to you. It might seem like that there are people outside of you and what you can control, which is very little or nothing. And that they're the ones that are in charge of your fate or your destiny. Can I say this to you? Either God's sovereign or He's not. And if He's your God and you worship Him and you came to Him through, He drew you through His Son and you're His child, let me tell you this. Nobody controls your fate. Nobody controls your destiny except Him. Things are not spinning out of control. I love that song. We heard it the other day, Friday, when we were sitting there at this beautiful place in the mountains. And they started playing that uh, Twilight Paris song, God is in control. I, I turn that as loud as I can stand it when I hear that song. Because I love knowing that. Because that takes away fear and anxiety that might otherwise be there about a future that's uncertain for most people. But it's not for the believer because God is in control. And He loves you. And let me tell you the main reason and the motivation for the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. The hardness of Pharaoh's heart occurred because they had to get to the blood. They had to get to the blood. You understand that there were ten plagues that happened that God imposed on the nation as a result of Pharaoh's disobedience and his rebellion and his hard-headedness. The rest of those, the first ones, the first nine, were just toys. That was just that was that was God showing that he can be God. God can, God's God. He can do anything He wants to do. But the hardness of His heart made everything so intense that He used that to show us just what it's going to take to redeem and liberate anybody and that's exclusively the blood of His Son. So you had to get to the Passover. It had to get to the point where Pharaoh wouldn't listen. And the firstborn were slain all throughout the nation. Except, except for the ones who had the blood on their doorposts and their lintel. And that blood, the blood of the sheep, that was that Passover, do you know what that's a picture of? The word shepherd in the Bible means doorway. And Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the doorway to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by Him. And all of that was, was a preview of coming attractions. Where one day on Calvary's hill, the Lamb of God would be slain from the foundation of the world to redeem, reach and redeem every last one of us who've been moved by Him to call upon His name. Oh, the mighty gulf that God disbanded. You know what? You know what Christian apathy is? Christian apathy is, is when your understanding of that gulf and the size of it begins to decrease. And Christian growth is when you begin to understand that the gulf is really bigger than you could ever imagine. When you begin to understand from the heart the contrast between what you deserve from God and what you're getting from God, then you're just getting close to understanding the holiness of God. He said, I can, the rest that's toys play. You can, I can impose the rest. I can do that. Turn the Nile into blood. Come on. If God's God, why can't He do that? But for God to take His only begotten Son and slay Him on Calvary's hill because of my sin is a miracle. He said that about, he said when he sent the 70 out, he said, and his disciples were coming back and going, man, the demons are in subjection to us. This is great. I mean, look at us. A demon responds and Jesus said this. I saw Satan fall like a 
lightning bolt out of heaven. It was no problem. Who kicked him out? It was no problem. I saw that happen. He's little compared to me. He said, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. It's the greatest miracle God ever does is reach and redeem lost, sorry, rebellious men and women and boys and girls like us. Hallelujah to His name. He had to get to the blood. And let me tell you, in your moment, that's where He wants you. The breakthrough is coming and it will come in God's preordained time. And it will. You will commune with the work of the cross in you as never before. You will understand the blood as never before. You will appreciate your redemption and the atoning work He did for you at Calvary as never before. The most grateful people who occupy planet earth or to be the redeemed. It really should. Because we have an understanding given to us by the Holy Spirit of the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. He said, I hardened Pharaoh's heart. I'm in charge of this. Oh, dear one, friend, brother or sister. God's char- He's in charge and sovereign over your moment. He wants you to get to the blood. He wants you to get to the place of communion. Deep communion only comes for those. It evades all others. Deep communion with God only comes for those who not only embrace the work of the cross for them, that gets you in. Once the journey begins, the deep communion and the intimacy comes when you embrace the work of the cross in you. He wants to take every last vestige of you out of you. And He will use your circumstances to do that. And in so doing that, there's good reason for the delay. There's good reason for the breakthrough not yet coming. There's good reason. And let me tell you something right now. Only those who persevere, only those who persevere get to know Him in intimacy. And get to know the power of the resurrection. Because before there's ever a resurrection, it has to be preceded by a cross. He had to get to the blood. I've hardened his heart to get to the blood. That's how much I love you. That's how much I hate sin. That's the only remedy. That's the only answer. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The power that we speak of that can reach and redeem anybody is the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. In Leviticus 17.11, it says there's life in the blood. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He was not in the human line. He was planted by the seed of the Holy Spirit. And He has uncursed blood. Unblemished blood. The most precious blood ever made. And He spilled every last bit of it on Calvary to reach and redeem you. Had to get to the blood. Until we get to the blood, there's no communion. Until we get to the blood, there's no identification. Until we get to the blood, there's no understanding of this great work of redemption. Until we get to the blood, there's no power. Until we get to the blood, there's no grace. Grace. Until we get to the blood, there's no mercy. Until we get to the blood, there's no real change. Until we get to the blood, there's nothing but apathy. Get to the point. He had to get to the Passover. You've got to get to the blood. I've hardened his heart for good reason, son. Jesus doesn't go up to Calvary. Abraham doesn't get saved. Jesus doesn't go to Calvary. Moses doesn't get saved. Jesus doesn't go to Calvary. You don't get saved. And I'm going to tell you right now, after having saved you, your destination is Calvary. It's to get rid of the bitterness that's in your heart. The unforgiveness that's in your heart. Your rights to you. 
He don't want you to embrace them. He wants you to renounce them. He wants you to get to the blood. And let me tell you another good reason. Can I say this to you? I've studied the narrative over and over again because I believe the Bible. Do you believe the Bible? You believe it from cover to maps. I mean, don't, I mean, we say that, don't we? Genesis to maps, I believe it. Do you believe it? So I, I'm, I'm reading it. It says, you, you have faith on moving a mountain. Not too long ago, we were walking up Kennesaw Mountain. And I was trying to employ faith and ask God to remove it because it liked to kill me to get up there. And I said, with faith, it moves my... I studied that narrative over and over again for 30 days straight or so. And I studied it over and over What does this mean? Here's what, here's what I believe I concluded. I, I believe the Lord showed me this. Anything. If your motivation for asking God is anything that obstructs your glory in my life, I want you to remove it. And that's when God starts moving. It's the motivation for asking Anything in my life that clouds your glory. Hey, if you want to take me through this journey, through this meal, and you want to put me on display as a testimony of what you will do when you ruin somebody, if you want to do that, and it thereby your name is glorified, God have at it. And let me tell you in the narrative. Think about how it would play out. Let's say that Moses goes up there. First pass, Pharaoh goes, well, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, why don't y'all leave? Why don't y'all, we'll escort you out of town. What if that would have happened? You know what would happen? Let me tell you what would happen. This is the word that would have gotten out. Well, Moses had an end. He was raised in Pharaoh's house. He knows her language. You know what I mean? <laughs> this guy he's talking to, he was raised like his brother. You know, hey, <laughs> Moses pulled some strings. He must have seen this guy do behind the scenes something nasty one day and go, by the way, if you don't let my people out of here, I'm, come, I'm going public with what you did. I'm going to expose you. So Moses had some connections. He, he, uh, he made good on some political ties that he exploited from his life in Pharaoh's home. After all, he was raised there. He spoke the language. It's, it, hey, you know what? We got delivered by the, Moses' negotiation skills. He's so good at it. He knows how the Egyptian thinks. He knew what buttons to push. This is how you talk to Pharaoh. Hey, if you want this out of him, let me tell you how to talk to him. And I knew he knew how to talk to him. So he talked to him. He crafted his message just right. He exploded a big, weak moment. And this guy who was raised as his brother, they were raised as brothers. He exploited the moment, moved in on it, negotiated our release. Thank you, Moses. We absolutely robbed God of his glory. Absolutely robbed God of His glory. No, there's no negotiation going on here. He said, they will come out and everybody will see that who did it. It was a strong arm of the Lord that did it. Your breakthrough is being delayed because God wants to... If you're, if you're believing Him, stay, stay with Him. Now don't give up. But it's being delayed because God's got to get you to the blood. He wants to get you to commune. We talk about communion, but we know a little, little nothing about it if we don't... You know, communion here is one thing, but communion out here in the nasty now and now is quite another. Identification with that communion where your strength is gone and you got nothing left but to depend upon Him. He wants to get you to the blood. And also, He only delays it for His glory. 
It isn't. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. No, no, no. God and Jesus got it going. And through the Holy Spirit, it's all worked out in me. It isn't me and Jesus. It's just Jesus. Amen. We're not God's co-pilot, are we, Chad? We're not God's helper. God's never asked for my help. Has he ever asked you for help? You think he's wrenching up his hands up in heaven and going, boy, I just need these people. I've got, he's got fur on his brow. How, brow and how am I going to accomplish my will without Lindsay doing the right thing? I just don't know how I'm going to do it. No, he's going, you know what? I'm moving my plan forward. And as a believer, you want to join in? Come on, buddy. But my plan's going forward nonetheless. He doesn't need us. But oh, dear God, we desperately need him. Some of you are believing God for a breakthrough. There's one of two things that's happening this morning, and I'm saying this on the basis of authority of God's Word. Either you're believing God for a breakthrough and you're ready to give up, and this Word is to encourage you this morning, or you're headed to a spot where you're going to need to draw from this text and say, God, I'm going to believe you and trust you no matter what I see. Because see, what you can see is not real. What you can't see is eternal, and that's what's real. He wants to get you to the blood and he wants to use your life for the greatest privilege it could ever be used for. And let's go a step further. He wants to use your life for the purpose for which it was given. And that is to bring him glory. That's what he wants to do. There are other things that are happening here. But you remember those two things. They cling to him and cling to his promises. And I want you to know, dear friends, dear brothers and sisters, please don't give. Give up on yourself. He wants you to do that. But oh dear one, don't give up on him. Amen.